0: Hey, thank you, team. Great job. Y'all pray for Beth. She was sick this mor- or this weekend, and Hannah, and um, man, so glad to see you. Good to be here. The Lord has risen. Amen, He has. Hey, we are here to share with you today. Do y'all like to be shared with? Anybody like to be shared with? Okay, good, good, because you're going to get a lot of sharing here today. So, this weekend has been our youth retreat, um, and so... We're going to share some of that retreat with you. Guess what? You didn't get to go on a youth retreat. I'm so sorry. But we're going to share with you the last part of our youth retreat. So, um, what we did this weekend, we usually go away uh, somewhere, but the place that we usually go has now been sold. And so, we needed an economical option. So, our economical option was here at the church. All right. And so, uh, Friday night, all during the day, yesterday and this morning, we uh, we have been doing our youth retreat and we've just been staying at different homes. Uh, we Tom O'Malley opened his home up to the guys. Uh, Madison Crowell opened her home up to the girls. Um, let me tell you, church, you have a wonderful uh, youth worker uh, team here. Shing uh, Shing, Daniel, uh, myself, and uh, Tom Tom pitched in with offering his place, and um, you know Madison jumped in again and and helped us. So it was awesome. Uh, So here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to share with you a little bit about our retreat. If you see, we all have matching shirts. Don't be jealous, right? You just had to actually be at the retreat. The theme uh, of our retreat is King of the Mountain. And uh, we basically did the Sermon on the Mount. And so that's why we kind of had these shirts made King of the Mountain. And so we're going to do a couple things this morning. We're going to share with you um, a couple of what... What we got from the lessons, right? Daniel's going to facilitate that here in just a moment. And then during our edified time where we eat a meal, um, some of the youth may have some other comments they want to tell you just about what the Lord did. And so it's, it's a pretty exciting weekend. Here's how we kind of did it. Uh, Friday night we had worship time, Saturday morning, Saturday night. We're considering this the last part of our retreat. We're kind of joining in, letting you join in with us. Um, but what we did is we'd sing a couple songs, then we'd Scatter the youth all over the church uh, building, and they'd have about twenty-five minutes of just studying and reading the Sermon on the Mount, right, and just gleaning from it and spending time uh, with God and His Word. And what was really cool is yesterday, you could see them warming up to it so much because yesterday it was about twenty-five minutes last night, and and it was like, okay, guys, it's time to come back in. We come back in and sing some more, then have our message part. Um, I heard many of the youth say that was not enough time. Like, I need some more time, um, and that's what it's like. Taste and see that the Lord is good, right? You just need a taste. Um, we told the youth, "Here's the good news: you can go home and have all the time you want, right?" Um, of course, it probably also helped that we still have their cell phones, right? They're they're locked up in my. You know, that's the sad thing: they get their cell phones if they brought them back this weekend. Don't you wish someone would take away your cell phone for the weekend? Yes, you know, you, you know, you, that, don't worry, Apple's not listening to you say that, right? They're not going to sabotage you, so, all uh, right, Daniel, when you come up here, Daniel's going to, uh, we got a couple of youth that are going to share with you what they got from the messages, and then um, please come and be a part of, uh, of our worship service when we do the edifying meal. We'd love to uh, let you hear what else God has done this weekend in the souls of our youth, so y'all three come up. Don't worry, there's nothing to be afraid of. You Bible, yeah, you can bring your Bible. Oh, by the way, do I need to dismiss the kids to, to uh, church? Do, are, we, are we dismissing them today? We, okay, Now's the time we're going to go ahead and dismiss them The kids' club? Okay, we can go ahead and do that now. We'll dismiss the kids' club now.
1: No? There we go. Okay, Um, so these three volunteered to share just a little bit about each lesson, uh, what kind of, some of the summary of what each lesson we had was. So, first lesson we had was Chris's on Friday evening, and he talked about Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 16. So, who would like to give me one of the things that he talked about there?
2: Um, The first lesson was on... I don't know the scripture reference, but, uh, so basically the first lesson, uh, was from Chris and basically what I got from the lesson was just turn the other cheek, bless everyone who does bad things to you, act how a Christian would act in a situation where someone is doing something bad to them. So that's what I got from it.
3: He said that, um, that like God is the sun and we are the moon and like um, we are reflectance of God and we have to act like God and like there's all those phases of the moon, like like a new moon, like you're not uh like you're sinning a lot, you're not doing what you're supposed to in a godly manner as a Christian and um then like there's all those other ones like Yeah. It means you're doing good.
1: Yeah. Caroline, do you
4: have Oh, yeah. So I don't really have notes for this one, but I put, um, it's basically like Jesus was the true role model um, of what, how we should act and um, how like, well, yeah, basically (laughs) the role (laughs) model.
1: Okay, the second lesson we had was the one I did on Matthew 5, uh, verse 17 through uh, 48. So who would like to tell me anything about that lesson?
2: Um, the scripture reference was Matthew five seventeen through 48. The theme was Christ came to fulfill the law of prophets, not to abolish them. That's verse 17 through 20. In in this lesson, we learned about um, murder, adultery, divorce, oaths, retaliation, and love, and I thought it was just kind of cool how they all like God designed them to be connected, kind of like He was putting together pieces of a puzzle, and because they all relate to each other, so that was that was kind of cool. Yeah.
4: Um. So basically, I um was I. I'm focusing on oaths, or um, that's basically what they called it, or promises. Um, and it was basically that, um, like, you can't promise something that you can't keep. And so that would be displeasing of the Lord. And um, so just don't make promises <laughs> that you can't keep. Right. In verse 17
3: through 20, it says, uh, God says, um what i'm about to tell you is true heaven and earth will disappear before the smallest letter disappears from the law and so the law will never be complete because somebody somewhere is always going to break it and so that means what god is trying to say is heaven and earth are basically eternal until you know god makes does what he wants of them i guess
1: do y'all remember, what was the big fancy word that we talked about here? y'all remember? Uh, remember?
2: Anti-gnomianism. All right, what does that mean? <laughs> we don't like gnomes. We don't like gnomes. What does it actually mean? It means, hold on, I have the, it's right here. Disregard of the Old Testament, anti means against, and nomianism means law. So that's where right. it comes from.
1: Right.
3: He's not here to come and, like, get rid of all the laws that the prophets are teaching. He's coming to, like, fulfill them and to do do God's plan.
1: Very good. All right. The uh, lesson we had last night um, was by Ashton, um, and it was in Matthew 6, verses 19 through 34. So who would like to tell me about that?
4: One? Um, so this is the one I did take notes on. Um, I said, lesson three with Ashton focused on where people are showing their treasures. Is it with God or worldly things? Our group was able to talk about how when we are anxious, we should go to God with our problems instead of something or someone different. This is called reflexes. We have instant reflexes and conditional reflexes. Instant reflexes should be when our hand touches a hot stove and it pulls away. But conditional reflexes is learning to do something instantly when um, something happens. Sorry, I cannot read my handwriting. We are trying to make our conditional reflexes be going to God when we are scared or just need him. So like I already said, the final question is, are you storing your treasures with God or with worldly things? Um, Ashton told a story about, like, this
3: man who was known as the beggar in his town, and he would go up to people, and he would ask, say, hey, I don't have enough money to eat dinner tonight. Hey, uh, my heater's not working. Just asking people for stuff all the time. And then when he died, um, the police investigated, like, his house and, like, his bank, and he had over a million dollars in cash um, just stored up, and, like, he just didn't use it. So the point of the story was, like, that people can make idols out of many things, and this man was just storing up his money because it was an idol to him. He wasn't praising God. He was just... um, you know, like, he's saving his money so that he could look at it and just be like, I have a million dollars. Just, but um, he died of, what is it, no. Mel- malnutrition, yeah. So, like, he's starved, I guess. So,
1: yeah. All right. Uh, now, finally, what was something um, that stood out to each one of you just in general over the entirety of the weekend, something that maybe you want to apply to your life or something um, that God was teaching you, either in your quiet time or in any of the lessons?
4: So um, we had a song about it. It was um, how the person built built themselves on a rock. Um, Not themselves, or um, their house. And... um, um, God provides people with a firm foundation, but sin slash the devil <laughs> provides people with an unsteady foundation, and um, we should set our roots in um, good scripture and how what God provides us with.
3: In Matthew chapter seven, um, verse one through six, God talks about like if you judge people. In a certain way, God God will judge you back, basically. So, like, you're not supposed to judge other people in like negative ways because, like, the they're they're God's creation and and God loves them,
1: I guess. Right. So you're not a hypocrite, right? Yeah.
3: Basically, just verses
2: three through. 11, just blessing those who are mean to you and blessing those who insult you and just applying that to my life.
1: Very good. Alright, everyone give them a round of applause. Thank you all very much. I can take a seat.
0: We, um, we played out on uh, at Johnson Park on the Fields and I have um, old man syndrome, and so we played uh, frisbee, frisbee, ultimate frisbee, played some flag football or touch football, and um, man, I can't even walk now. I did drop the perfect pass. I'm still so embarrassed. I almost didn't come to church this morning. I was so embarrassed with it. We, uh, Ashton was on my team, and we called up a perfect play. You know, pitched it back to her. No one... I was the all-time quarterback because I'm old and fat. And and then pitched it back to her. No one suspected and just ran. And she was to hit me like right over the shoulder. And it perfectly went right here. <laughs> right through. So... Um, but the good news is, I'm probably qualified to play for the Cowboys. Okay. <laughs> hey, I... I, I have to tell you, um, I'm I'm so enthused with our youth, and, and here's why, um, we we don't do things lightly. <laughs> so, um, I mean, each of our lessons probably were about an hours in length, you know, hour in length or so. And I mean, they, I mean, they were we were just just hunkered in, and on top of that, just their own personal study in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, I, I'm really blessed because I have um, one of, one of my students. Um, over at the school uh, in the past, uh, last year, had said something that in his church, when they do youth, they're, um, you know, they're, they're kind of told by the leadership that don't make it too difficult, right? Don't, you know, keep it kind of light. Don't confuse them. Keep it, you know, keep it very basic. And I would say there's a place for that, but also there's a place for how you going to learn if you just don't get taught, right? And so, um, man, to get taught antinomianism, <laughs> right? Down with the gnomes. So, um, man, that was great. Hey, here's what I'm going to do this morning. I'm going to share with you the last message. I had the final message for our retreat. So all of our youth are sitting over here together this morning. So this message is directed to you guys, but we believe in sharing. We believe a lot in sharing. Like, for instance, if you came this morning and maybe you just had a rough week or maybe the resources were low or just maybe you just forgot, guess what? People brought extra food this morning. Stay and eat with us. That's a part of our church service. And people say this to me all the time, well, I'm just not going to do it. I'm just not going to stay if I didn't bring any food. And I would say this, well, when you come to church on a Sunday, has there ever been a week where you never read your Bible, and, but yet came and heard someone teach the Bible, right? That'd be my next thought. And, and someone would go like, well, yeah, that's happened. Like, well. Same principle, right? I mean, I'm breaking open the bread of life and giving it to you. Just because you didn't read the Bible that week, I wouldn't tell you not to come to church, right? I mean, come and just receive. Come and just receive. You know, we all face pride in our life. And you know what the biggest things with pride I've discovered? Uh, I mean, not from personal experience. I don't have any pride. But from personal experience, it's, it's a lot easier to serve people than have somebody serve you. It's a lot easier to serve people and have someone serve you. That's really the, I think one of the hardest things sometimes. That is an ultimate sign of humility. In fact, I wonder if that's why sometimes uh, in life, especially when you go through sickness or you get to a point in life where you can't really take care of yourself like you used to, and you're, you become dependent on people, we start to think, oh Lord, just take me now. But I would say, wait a minute, actually, the Lord may be trying to do some kind of work of sanctification because it really works out pride in our, the, the kind of respectable sins of pride in our heart when we actually get to a point in life where we can't serve anymore and others have to serve us. So I would encourage you, stay with us, be here Um, This is a part of our church service. I'm telling you, uh, we're not going to stop it. (laughs) We're not going to drop it. It just is what it is. We're going to keep expecting to edify. I'm really excited because some of the youth are going to, I'm saying this, so now they're going to feel pressure. They're going to give you some, they're going to edify you, some of these others, about what God did this weekend through His Word and worship. So I'm excited about that. I'm going to share with you some stuff from uh, this Sermon on the Mount myself this morning. If you'll take your Bible, and if you'll go over to chapter 6, I'm going to share chapter 6, verses 1 through 18. And then I'm going to share chapter 7, verses 1 through 5 with you. Sermon on the Mount. When you look at the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 through 7 of Matthew, I'm going to tell you, you could actually, from this section, if let's say you had nothing else to disciple with, Let's say you were in North Korea and you could only smuggle in one portion of Scripture, right? You could only get in a couple pages. If you had Matthew chapter 5 through 7, you can accomplish so much. So much discipleship can, be, can happen with just this little bit. Just obedience to the, to, the, to the Sermon on the Mount. Now, when you look at the Sermon on the Mount, it, it, you know, actually, if you were to just read it. In fact, Wednesday night uh, at youth, <laughs> I had said to the youth, I said, tonight... You're going to hear the best message Nick has ever preached in his life. In fact, this will be a perfect message. In fact, this message I'm going to preach to you tonight will be as if Jesus was here. He would say the exact same things I am saying. And you could see some of them were, were kind of sniffing this out, what was about to happen. And so I literally just read the Sermon on the Mount, preached the Sermon of the Mount, and then said amen, right? A perfect message, the best message. So this one's going to not be near as good as last Wednesday. But the Sermon on the Mount, here's what's interesting about the Sermon on the Mount. It deals with an inner quality that really makes its way to the outer. And so there is a heart, an inward perspective that when we get to the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus is trying to get at, and you see this over and over and over. And today we're going to look at this inner perspective of hypocrisy hypocrisy. Now, the word hypocrisy comes from the word hypocrite. It's actually an acting word, right? It's a drama word. To, to be a hypocrite in the scriptures is actually someone who puts on a mask. I couldn't find a mask. I don't know why my costume closet is empty. I was going to have one this morning, right? Maybe put on a Halloween costume mask for you. But a hypocrite is someone who puts on a mask and presents something that they're really not, right? That's a hypocrite. Now, here's the interesting thing when we look in our text. When someone plays the part of a hypocrite, it's really because they're living life for the glory of man. When a person doesn't play the part of a hypocrite in life, it's because they're really living for the glory of God. Two, By the way, there's only two ways to live in life, honestly, Either living for the glory of man, which in the end you're living for your own glory, or living for the glory of God. There's only two ways to live. There's only two types of people in life. Those that are saved and those that are not saved. Those that are not saved are living for the glory of man, the glory of themselves. Those that are saved are living for the glory of God. There's There's only really two types of people. We find this in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus points this out. Let me set a backdrop for what's going on. He's dealing with the scribes and Pharisees. These people were super religious on the outside, but inwardly there were issues. And so Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is is addressing uh, addressing the heart perspective so much in this text. We'll pick it up in four different disciplines we're going to look at. The word hypocrite, hypocrisy, is mentioned four times, four different scenarios in the Sermon on the Mount. Scenario one has to do with generosity. Scenario two has to do with prayer. Scenario three has to do with fasting. And scenario four has to do with, with self-evaluation, right? Self-evaluation. So in the Sermon on the Mount... Which, by the way, I think it was more than 10 minutes. It, it more than likely was an extended teaching. But this is what God, through the Holy Spirit, inspired Matthew to record for us. God has said, this is what we need to love him, serve him, know what's right, know what's wrong, how to get right, how to stay right, so that we can be thoroughly equipped. But take a look with me at chapter 6, verse 1. He's speaking this. And, and he says, Beware of your righteousness before men to be noticed by them, Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father who is in heaven. Now, I just want you to notice something. There's those that have reward and those that don't have reward, right? The ones who have reward are those that live for the glory of God. Those that have no reward are living for the glory of man. And so, in referencing what they see so much in the religious, the religious Jewish community, he says in verse 2, Therefore, when you give to the poor... He says to these listeners, to his disciples and these listeners, no doubt there was more than likely Pharisees there hearing as well. Therefore, when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do. These are people who put on a a show, a mask, as they do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be glorified by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. What's the reward they get? The praise of men. When we live for our glory or the glory of man, whatever good things, whatever praise or acclaim comes from that, that's your reward. That's what you get. But living for the glory of God is a totally different reward. Is a much more satisfying reward. How satisfying is living for the glory of God? I'll tell you what it looks like. That last night, as minute 25 clocked off and we said, hey youth, time to come back in here. We had several saying, that's not enough time. This it's, it's not enough. I need some more. What is that? That's like the glory of God. There's a pleasure and a delight in God. Have you ever noticed in life, a lot of times life can be miserable. It's because miserable life is a life lived for our own glory. It's the hypocrite's life. And the only time a person is tempted to live as a hypocrite, to try to be something outwardly, try to make people think you're something great outwardly, trying to play the religious game, is really just because you're, we're living for the glory of man. Our own glory. By the way, if you want a, a good treatment of that, it's not a shameless plug. We're not making any money off this, but here's a great book we put in the bookstore or resource center, right? Self-esteem, self-love, self-image. By the way, not promoting that. This book actually gives you a, a, a theological discussion how the Bible actually doesn't promote the idea of self, right? Um, your biggest, our biggest problem in life is not we don't have enough self-esteem. It's that we have too much self-esteem. In fact, too much self-esteem is what leads to hypocrisy. Too much self is actually what leads us to see everybody else's faults but not our own. Too much hypocrisy is where we'll, we'll discipline our kids for something that we do ourselves. We don't know anything about that, I understand. Verse 3 says this. Now, we're dealing in this issue, this first one, this discipline of generosity, and specifically it's generosity to the poor. So what would happen is in the synagogues and even in the streets, and typically this would happen on day two and five of the week when most Jews were gathered and going to the market, there would be a big trumpet blow and a big kind of everybody come and watch and let me show, let me show you as I give to the poor and make a big spectacle. And Jesus is saying, This reveals a hypocritical life. This does not reveal someone that's doing for the glory of God. In fact, Don't be like the hypocrites, the the ultra-religious of their society, the ultra-religious scribes and Pharisees. This is what they do. They seek their own glory. So they'll announce, they'll give to the poor, but the only reward they have is the applaud that they get either from the poor or those that are watching. And he says, this is not how a God-sanctifying life lives. This is not a heart that's being transformed by the glory of God. Verse 3, he says this, but when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. It's one of these things where you're, not, you're trying whatever you can do not to bring attention to yourself. So in verse 4, your giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. By the way, just a side note. Here there's a warning about being generous, but doing it hypocritically. But notice it, there's this idea that generosity is just a normal thing. But when you're generous, th- don't do it for the praise of men. Do it to, satis- to, do it to glorify God. Like, why do you give to the poor? Why would you give to our missionaries? Why would we give to our church? Why would we give to those in need for the glory of God? Not because we can get goodies from that person or to get praise or acclaim or to even pat ourselves on the back and think how great of a person I am. It's for the glory of God. That's where good reward comes. And just so you understand, just because you don't get man's praise doesn't mean that God is not pleased. Just because you don't get man's praise doesn't mean God is not pleased. You know, most things in life we do for people we'll never get praised for. But don't you want to live for the praise of someone that's more substantial? I mean, really, let's be honest. Any bit of service that you may be doing in life right now, any bit of sacrifice that you may be giving, and you don't get the praise or acclaim of those people that you're doing that for, that sacrifice that you're doing, let me just tell you, if you're doing that for the glory of God, you have the creator, Yahweh God, the self-existent God saying, I'll reward you for that. So why are we sitting around waiting on someone else to give us their, you know, like, oh, man, I got to have their thank you for what, the, what I've done for them. Hey, it's nice to have that expression, right? But ultimately, we're not doing anything for the praise of man or for the praise of ourself. Everything is for the glory of God. It's to show God weighty, to show that he matters. So he says the first thing you got to do here in verses 6 through 4 is you got to be generous, which I just love the idea that this is normal you're going to be generous, but Jesus' warning is don't be a hypocrite with your generosity. Don't do it to get get this kind of acclaim and praise of men. Live for me, I'm your king. Now next he goes into prayer. So we got giving and then we have prayer. By the way, I I wanted to say something just as a side note about giving. You know, hopefully at our church you don't hear us guilt trip you about giving. right? I, I hope you don't ever hear that kind of stuff. I, I think sometimes we don't talk enough about it, but we try and only talk about it when it's in the text. But I will tell you this you, you, you are privileged, to, we are privileged to be at this church because, from, from what I know, from our very beginning, we have been very cautious in our whole history to not do this kind of arm twisting kind of thing for giving. In fact, since I've been here, I know of at least three occasions where I have had someone refer, where where I have been referred to from another pastor where they have these companies, and I'm not saying they're all bad, but with these companies that come in, and these companies, after they take a, you know, a certain percentage cut, they help you to help your people become more generous and have all sorts of tricks of the trade, right? And, and any time those occasions have arise, and we've just talked about it as elders, it has been flatly and defiantly shut down. Because why is that? Because giving is for the glory of God, not to be manipulated by man. But, but, but hear me and hear me well. Just because we don't talk about it doesn't mean it's an essential part of the disciplined life of someone in Christ, right? So, like, I'm telling you, if our giving does not impact our life, it's probably not sacrificial enough. People ask me all the time, what do you think about tithing, Nick? I would say, I don't see that as a, as a law, in the, in the New Testament, I don't see that as a law in the, in the scriptures as in you must. I would, say, t- I would say 10% represents a position of sacrifice. Typically, 10% will mean it's going to affect your life. Honestly, for some people, 10% really isn't enough. I mean, to be honest with you. By the way, don't think that I know. I have no idea what anybody in this church gives. You could give a dollar and I don't even know, right? I don't have the slightest idea and I don't want to know. But I can tell you this. That giving ought of cost us something. It is sacrificial. And even so much more this. You know what scares me? Is if you've been giving for a while and you just give because it's a discipline you do and it's this thing of like if I don't give you know poor Nick's going to wither away. Look at him, right? That poor guy. He's, he's just skin skid and bone. I would say I would say, hey, thank you, right? But actually, I would really tell you, hey, don't give unto man. and Give unto God. It's for His glory, for His renown. And I'm just telling you, there is no less fruitful and joyful opportunity to give than to just give for the applause of men, right? Give for the glory of God, right? That's where it's enjoyable. In fact, every time you give, let me encourage you to do this. Don't just give because it's what you do. Like As you give, take a time to thank the Lord and go, God, here's how you have sustained and been gracious that this could be given. You, you understand? Make, make it a heart of worship. Bring glory to God in it. Now Let me show you the next one, prayer. Hey, by the way, youth, let me just say this. By the way, these guys have had no sleep. <laughs> I mean, like we've been up all weekend. So if one of them falls asleep, you know, God bless you. But can I speak, let me speak to you as youth, and y'all just listen in because we all need this. Here's the hardest part I think about when you start to follow God, is not being a hypocrite. And that is, I try to present to somebody something that I'm really not. That's one of the, I think when I first started going to church, the first youth ministry that I was involved in, remember, y'all know my whole story of coming to faith in Christ. Well, about a year before I became a believer at 16, I started going to church at 15, And I started to learn that the majority of the youth in that youth department may have been able to pray and may have been able to read Scripture and give great devotional thoughts, but honestly, most of them were living like hell. They really were. Just living living like they were sons and daughters of hell. Hypocrites. I think that was the hardest thing for me in the beginning. Now, thank God that His grace shone down, and that wasn't some excuse to not pursue the Lord. But I think I was most astounded of the hypocrisy that I saw. There's a reason why Jesus is warning of this. This is a a big thing. And and here's the whole, I think, rub. We will be hypocrites if life is about our glory. And life is about getting glory from others. You know, your marriage will be a lot better if you stop living for the glory of your spouse and start living for the glory of God. How do you know that? Well, you, here's how we know it. Have you ever said to yourself, my marriage could be good if they would just blank. It's living for the glory of man. Living for the glory of God. More says, "My mar- I'm, I'm more concerned about how am I glorifying God and actually how I'm actually being married. Now keep looking here in verse 5. He goes to prayer. And when you pray... Don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward. So here's what was normal in Jewish society. On day two and day five of the week was typically market day. Why is that? Because day two, usually you went to market on day... Uh, on, um, on day on day six, so right before I'm sorry, you went to market on day five, right before the Sabbath day, get the supplies you needed, because you didn't shop on Sabbath, and that would take you over until until Tuesday. You go, you go on Tuesday, and that would hold you off until Friday. So there was, you know, they didn't have refrigerators, they didn't have deep freezers, they didn't go to Costco and, you know, get a big brisket and throw it in the freezer and thought later on in the week, right? So it, there was a lot of market that happened on day two and five. Well, on day two and five, in Mark, when market ha- comes, everybody's out in the streets, and that was where a lot of the announcing to giving to the poor would happen, but also that's where a lot of these public prayers would happen. And they were all for show, trying to put on a good show for everybody. And here's what they get in verse five. You know what your reward is? To be seen by men. That's your reward. That's what you get. When it's all about man's glory. Verse six, he says this, but when you pray, go into your inner room. And when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, some people have taken verse six and said, that means we should never pray in church. We should never pray aloud. We should never pray publicly. I would say wrong. We see public prayers all throughout the scripture. What he's trying to get to in the text is this idea of don't treat prayer as another avenue to show this facade of how awesome you are, right? Don't. That's not what prayer is actually for. Don't go into the street corners. In fact, if that's what you're tempted with, find a prayer closet. Find some place to just you and the Lord where you get no applause from anybody. Now, what's interesting is he's going through and he's pointing out the hypocrisy, but in the midst of it, I love... Verse 7 through 15. Because in the midst of getting on them about hypocrisy when it comes to giving and hypocrisy when it comes to prayer, he basically takes a pause and says, Hey, by the way, as much as I don't want you to be a religious hypocrite, especially when it comes to prayer, don't be a pagan when it comes to prayer, right? I love how he kind of jumps in here. Now, this would not apply to any of us because none of us act like pagans. Amen? So verse 7. But when you are praying... Now he switches over to kind of pagan praying, kind of an interlude here. You could maybe call this a rabbit trail, or maybe you'll call this an elephant trail. But he makes sure and understands, hey, don't, don't pray like a pagan. He says in verse 7, when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition. Notice it says meaningless repetition. It's not wrong to be repetitious in our prayers to God. We see examples of petitioning the Lord. What he says is meaningless repetition, which means it, it, it has no intelligence behind it. It has, no, it has no belief behind it. It has no doctrine of God behind it. It has nothing proper behind it. So he says, don't use meaningless repetition. As the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Uh, Especially among pagans was the idea that if you had a request, if you just keep making it, but you keep saying it over and over, and you say it with faster and faster chatter, almost as if you're speaking in tongues, that this is God will hear you. He says, no, don't have this meaningless repetition. Verse 8, therefore don't be like them. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. You You don't have to have this meaningless repetition. And then he gives them a pattern. Notice this is the Lord's Prayer, and he says, Pray then in this way. Now, the mistake we'd make is to say that the only way we can pray is the Lord's Prayer, but we'd also make a mistake in saying it's wrong to pray the Lord's Prayer. But more than anything, the Lord's Prayer is actually a great model for actually how to pray. Now, I don't want you to get in this and go, it has to be exactly this way, but I want you to notice two big elements in the Lord's Prayer. And... If you've ever listened to me pray publicly, I hope you would notice these two really big elements. That when you go to prayer, don't run to him for the goodies. That's what a pagan does, right? Run to him for who he is. So when we go to the Lord in prayer, we must first focus on who he is and what he's like and his character before we ever get to the actual Lord, this is what what I need in my life. This is what's going on. Before we go through the petition, we go to the proclamation of who he is. By the way, if we'll do this, it'll change our prayers. I think sometimes the way we come to the Lord is so disrespectful, honestly. Have you ever been, and and this is, by the way, this is why I love praying over a meal. Because what a challenge it is to not glorify man, but glorify God. Because there it is, right in your face. Right? And then... You know, sometimes we'll come to the Lord in prayer and we'll just be real quick like, Lord, I just want this. But actually, it's really good to take some time and go, God, this is what you're like. Let me, let me, what is your character like? Notice some patterns in the Lord's prayer. Look in verse 9. Pray then this way. Our Father who is in heaven, a recognizing of the relationship. By the way, not everybody can call, and I don't know if everybody online or I don't even know if everybody in here. Not everybody can say our Father is in heaven. Did you know that? Not everybody can say our Father who's in heaven. Not everybody can say that. Only those who are his children can say that. If you're not in Jesus, if you never trusted Jesus as Lord and King, you can't call him your Father. He, he may be, you can maybe think of him as Father in respect to your creation, but not to your adoption. I'm so glad I can call him my Father. So he says, our Father who's in heaven, hallowed, be thy name. Holy is your name. This is what your character is like. You're holy. You're set apart from sin. Hallowed be your name. You know, one of the reasons to actually read the scriptures is so that we can know the character of God, so that when we pray to God, we can accurately recall what his character is like. Hallowed be your name. It's hard to hallow God's name if we don't know the, if we don't know the book that talks about the name. Not only that does it say, hallowed be your name, but he says, Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Your kingdom comes. So His rule. Are we concerned about His rule? Are we looking forward to Him coming back? Every time we take communion, we, one of the big things we're doing is we're thinking of Him coming back someday. Does our prayers reflect this? I want you to notice the very beginning of this prayer. Is it person-focused or is it God-focused? It's God-focused, right? So he's saying don't, don't do like the pagans do. They do meaningless repetition. Do meaningful prayer. There's a point to your prayer. Come before the throne of God and come before in a reverent way. And a reverent way is this this idea of you are in relationship with Him. You are recognizing what His holy character is like in the fullness of what the Scriptures, the Lord, the Lord, gracious, forgiving, slow to anger, holy, righteous. And He says in verse 10, let your kingdom come, your will be done. The best way to learn how to pray God's will is to learn God's book. This is when prayer becomes sweet, is when we actually know how to pray. You know how to pray when you know what His voice is. You know what His voice from the Word of God. Now He says this, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's will gets done. It will always get done. His will is perfectly done in heaven. His will is even being done here on earth. But not everything is playing out as perfectly as as. as we would think before our eyes, we still have evil. We still have injustice. And there's this divine tension that I can't quite solve. I can recognize that God is sovereign over everything that happens. Nothing happens haphazardly. There's things happening behind the scenes. There's battles going on, like between Satan, between God and Satan that, that Job never saw and that I never see. So, but heaven is accomplishing its will. And here on earth, the tension between it, I can't see and solve everything on earth. But I can say this, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If you ever look at the book of Job and wonder, what's a good New Testament verse to apply to what was happening? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Just as a side note, if you ever read the book of Job, I want you to understand, Satan is God's Satan. That's what Martin Luther said. Satan is God's Satan. God was using Satan as his pawn to show forth his glory, to show forth his sovereignty over the situation, to show forth the righteousness of this man Job, although he wasn't completely perfect, but to show that what God had said about Job was true and that God's sustaining power would take him through, that ultimately Job would point us to one who was the better Job, Jesus. So now people say, am I allowed to pray for my own daily needs? And I would say, yes, you are. Look at the text. Give us this day our daily bread. The Lord wants us to come to him and acknowledge our needs. So he wants us to come to him. But what he wants first is not to pray like a pagan. A pagan just goes right for the goodies. Those who glorify God go right to his glory first. Who you are and what you're like. What would our prayer lives look like differently if we took some time to recognize his character and what he's like when we start off our prayer, right? We adore him to start off with. Now notice this. We go to verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. That's actually where the pagans start off. But notice verse 12 and 13. He goes to repentance. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Here's what happens. If his character is recognized, we'll go to Our needs appropriately, then we'll focus on our spiritual needs, which is I've got to repent. Lord, will you forgive me as forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors? As I have received grace and mercy from you, Lord, would you help me to extend it? Then look at verse 13. Do not lead us in temptation, but deliver us. Now, a lot of your translations might say evil. My LSB says the evil one, which I think is a, a good translation, which is this idea of saying, in verse 13, God, help me repent from my, my sinful nature. Help me repent, but then also protect me from the evil one. Protect me from Satan's schemes and his wiles. Lord, help me from this. Now notice the commentary in verse 14 and 15. If Satan were to tempt you and I, and if there's something that he were coming after us, which I'll just be honest with you, more than likely none of us have ever, have, have ever been tempted by Satan himself. We've been tempted, more than likely, by his henchmen, fallen angels. But if there was something satanic that was going to happen in our life, here's what it's going to look like in verse 14 and 15. For if you forgive others their transgression, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgression. What is the temptation that the evil one wants to come at us with in verse 13? What is it in verse 12 that we're most tempted to To struggle with. It's verse 14 and 15. That we would forgive others as we have been forgiven. When life is lived for the glory of God, we forgive others as we have been forgiven. And the promise of God to not forgive when we've done that, it has nothing to do with what I call justification forgiveness, right? At 16, I got justification forgiveness. In the grand sands of heaven, past, present, future, sins are forgiven. No longer will I be condemned. But as his child... When I rebel and do not acknowledge and repent, there is a break in our relationship. I'm still His son, but until I own up to what I've done, there will not be a family forgiveness. A, there, will be a, there will not be this restored relationship. Oh, I'm still saved. I'm, I'm still forgiven before the Lord in the grand says of heaven, but there is a break. Let me just tell you, that here's the honest truth. So much... Turmoil in our souls is really just the result of not forgiving as Jesus has forgiven us. So you might say, How do I know I've forgiven somebody? I'll tell you how. Based on the merits of Christ, do you refuse to bring up what they've done to you? When it comes to your mind, do you refuse to stew over it? it? When it gets brought up by somebody else, do you refuse to engage and talk about what they've done? And instead, do you replace it with God's thoughts? A forgiving person is not just someone that says, I told you I forgave you. It's a person who not only says, I forgive, but also practices that by not regurgitating and stewing over. Now, there's no such thing as forgive and forget. But there is a such thing as forgive and choosing not to remember. And the more you choose not to remember and recall and stew over, You will, at some point, start to forget a little bit more. What does Satan want to do? And what is our biggest problem in prayer? Is that we're not forgiving and we're not repenting. So this is what pagans do. Now, I've got just a couple minutes. And by the way, if if you ever went to our website, I've got a five-part message on verses 16 through 18. We preached in 2016. Y'all remember 2016? 2016 right? Y'all remember 2016? Good year, right? 2016? I just wanted to say 2016 and put it in your mind. But if you want to know something about, um, I preach a five-part message on prayer and fasting. But verse 16 and 18, here's another hypocritical thing they were doing. By the way, I, I don't think we struggle with this. Jesus knows I wish we did. Jesus knows I wish I did. He says, whenever you fast, do not put on gloomy faces as hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men. When they are fasting, truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. On day two and five in the markets, they'd make themselves look all gloomy to make everybody think they were spiritual by their fasting. Now, when you fast, you're actually acknowledging that you want God and that there's something going on in life that more than anything, you need Him. If you want to hear more about that, you can go to that message. But they were playing it up, hypocrites. Verse 17, he says, But you, when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face. So your fasting will be noticed by men, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Once again, by the way, I will say this. The Bible does not command us to fast, but it does commend fasting. Now, there's a whole lot of area around that. I would encourage you to go back and listen to that message series. All right? and understand what fasting is. Fasting's a good thing. It's not required, but it's a good thing. And in fact, I would tell you this, if there's some, self, if there's some things that you're struggling with and you're are worshiped before the Lord, fasting is a wonderful thing. Here's one of the great things about fasting. When you fast, you will automatically pray. Why is that? Because when you don't eat, your stomach will growl. And guess what it's time to do when your stomach growls? It's like your alarm clock in the morning, right? It's what it tells you, like, whoop. It's time to pray, time to go to the Lord. It, it's, it's, it's you acknowledging that you don't live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. But I want you to notice what they did. They were hypocrites. He said, you're trying to do something for God's, man's glory instead of God's glory. And you know what you get? You get the reward of men. The reward of men isn't, isn't very great, right? Right? Now here's the last thing look at verse chapter seven and in youth ministry I, I just listen to me and listen to me good. Here's one of the biggest dangers it's It's just living like a hypocrite. I think that's the hardest thing. you know one of the hardest things that you can do in life um, and and you know what's really interesting that the age of which you can get a hold of substances is kind of like gone up through the years, right? I, I only discovered this like a couple weeks, no, it was actually a couple months ago. Um, it, it, it used to be you could like smoke nicotine, right? You could smoke at 18. Now you got, can't smoke till you're 21. I found out recently I didn't know that you couldn't do vaping until you were 21, right? I, You know, go figure. I guess I don't vape enough, right? So I, I didn't really know that. And... And the reason why our country even has these laws where you can't drink till 21 and you can't get a hold of nicotine till 21, or you're not supposed to legally, right? Well, here's one of the reasons. Because at a young age, when you get addicted to a substance, it has such a stronghold for way into your life. And some of us know that, right? I mean, those of you that maybe struggle still with nicotine or alcohol strongholds, it more than likely started at a young age. The younger you start something like that, it grips onto you. Here's why I'm telling you this. If right now you grip onto hypocrisy and try to present yourself as something that you're really not or try to present yourself as something that I'll tell my parents and everybody what they want to hear so I can present a mask, a facade, that's going to be like, a, like an addictive nicotine habit the rest of your life. And what will happen is this. This is why I love children. You know who are the best at working hypocrisy out of you? It's your kids. You know, not everybody gets all mad at me when I talk about, you know, be fruitful, multiply, consider, have children, do this, it's good. God has commended it. God is, this is what God wants. You know, there are medical reasons to not, you know, have kids, but, I mean, outside of that, circumstantial, you know, reasons. But here's one of the reasons I think it's so good. Multitude of reasons, but... Whatever secret hypocrisy lies within you, if God gives you children to the glory of God, they will point that baby out, won't they? They will sniff that puppy out, and there is nothing like being nailed to the wall by your own kids. Like Your four-year-old is like, you do this, but you say this, but you do this. This doesn't make sense, right? Now, any adult would say that to you, and you'd be like, shut your mouth, right? You'd, I got a file drawer on you. maybe so. I know you're like, you're not helping them, all right? No one, like I'm not having kids, you're going to point out my hypocrisy, right? Living like a hypocrite right now is a dangerous drug. And here's what you'll do. Here's the danger of it. I'm going to sit down because my, my heel hurts, all right? If you live like a hypocrite right now, you probably won't realize it And then when you get into the future, you're going to drag people in with you. I can't tell you how many people, how many marriages I've done in life, how many marriages I've done in life and presided over. I would say, dare to say, about three quarters of the marriages I've performed, in the end they end up getting a divorce. Now, it's not because we don't do the premarital. It's not because we don't do all that we can do. But I'll tell you what happens. Most of them are at a younger age, and here's what they've done. They've lived a hypocrite's life their whole life. they fooled even themselves. And there was never anybody close enough to them to ever point it out. And, that was that, and that's what marriage did. It pointed something out that they never knew. And here's the problem. At a young age, like a drug, if you don't work that hypocrisy out, you'll live your life for the glory of men and you'll fake it. But there'll come a day when you can't fake it anymore. You get close enough in relationships, you can't fake hypocrisy. The Sermon on the Mount is a beautiful is, is some of the beautiful teaching about the danger of living the hypocritical life. Now, here's one of the things that I think is really great about the text and we'll be done. Look at verse 7. Why do you look at the speck? Well, we'll start in verse 1. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. By the way, no one ever quotes that verse right, right? It's misunderstood, it's like, the, it's like the only verse a pagan knows, right? I would encourage the pagan to read the context. Verse 2. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. What measure you measure it will be measured to you. It's not saying that we don't judge each other. We're not to be judgmental with each other. But if something is sin, wrong, we actually should bring loving accountability to each other. So there is a form of judgment, righteous judgment, that God's people do with each other, right? This is part of being a part of a covenant body of a church that we hold each other accountable. Now verse 3, look at this. Why do you look at the speck, the splinter that is in your brother's eye and don't notice the log that's in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck, the, to, the, the, uh, the, little, the little toothpick kind of thing, the splinter out of your eye and behold the log that's in your own? You hypocrite, take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. In our life, we need the discipline of giving, the discipline of prayer, the discipline of fasting. We also need the discipline of self-evaluation. You know what our biggest problem sometimes is? We can't see our own sin because all we do is talk about everybody else's sin. Living for the glory of man, all you can see is what other people do. When, you, when we live for the glory of God, we'll see the bigness of our, of our sin first. And when we see the bigness of our sin first, we're the first to repent. We're the first one to move out of the bedroom and move back in. We're the first one to say, I've sinned against God. I've sinned against you. Here's what I've done. Will you forgive me? Now, you're living for the glory of man. We won't do that. We'll just be hypocrites. All we'll do is talk about what they've done wrong, what they've done wrong, what they've done wrong, what they've done to hurt us. There's nothing that anybody's done to any of us that can't be forgiven through the work of the cross. So God's call for us is to glorify God. We glorify God by seeing the log in our own eye, own up to our own sin. You know, sometimes when you're... Sometimes even when confronting someone's sin, you know what the first thing you've got to do is? We've got to own up our own sin. If you ever wondered, I have something really difficult to talk to my kids about. I have something difficult to talk to my coworkers about. I have something difficult to talk to my spouse about or to my parents about. Or I have just something really difficult. How do I start this? How do I get the plane off the ground? I'll tell you how. Confess your own sin. Confess your own sin. And don't do this thing where it's like, I'm going to tell you one of my sins. Now, what's yours. That's the glory of man. Just glorify God. We get it? Just glorify God. Own up to our own sin and we'll never live the hypocrite's life. Jesus is the King of the Mount. I hope he's the King of the Mount in all of our lives. Y'all did awesome this weekend. I'm so excited for the church to get to hear some of how you've, you know, as you get to edify them. But I pray right now, Like a terrible addictive substance in your teenage years, hypocrisy is a cancer to your soul and your life. Let's bring it before the Lord. If it's there now, let's start repenting. And let's live the kind of life that that only the life of a king of the mountain wants us to live. Would y'all stand to your feet and worship, team. We're going to sing to the Lord. Hey, by the way, we're baptizing um, next Sunday. If you've not followed the Lord and believers' baptism, then next Sunday is a great opportunity. And guess what? The baptistry actually works now. Jason Beaver just about called down fire from heaven. (laughs) He dug a trench. He did just about everything, right? And he had to come to Jesus, talk with him, and, and it happened. Yeah, yeah. That's a good thing. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, we are overwhelmed by your goodness in spite of our sin, your holiness. We're privileged people to get to come before you. We're privileged people to have this book that tells us what you're like. We're privileged people to get to invest in our children. Thank you for the youth ministry and our youth workers. And I even have been edified this weekend just hearing their own insights from the text of Scripture from the mouth of babes. If there's someone here in our youth ministry that that, that has not bowed the knee to you in faith and repentance, may today be their day and may... That water's still warm outside. We can we can baptize them today. If there's someone here or online who's not called out to you in faith and repentance, may today be their day. By grace, they can be saved through faith. Let us not live the hypocrite's life. Help us for your glory and your renown. And God's people said, Amen. Amen.